and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. This is episode 40 and this is part three and the final part of our obstetrics series with Marcus McMillan. So let's just jump right back in. Okay, we're getting on in our shift now. We're doing well so far, but we get a sudden call to resource. Someone very sick has just arrived. So there's a, a pregnant lady. We don't know how far on, but she looks fairly heavily pregnant. And she's suddenly collapsed, blood pressure in the boots. She's very shocked. She's very unwell. How would you tend to approach patients like this? So this is something where, you know, I'd be in, if I was in labor ward and this happened, I'd be involving an anesthetist. Uh, if it was an A&E, I'd be speaking to you guys because we are very good at managing obstetric complications. We're less good at managing things like a, a, a non-obstetric cause of collapse. So if she's bleeding, I can sort that. If it's a cardiac thing, I'm going to want some help. It's going to be the same as anyone else. It's your ABCs. It's going through your potential diagnoses and bearing in mind that if she's pregnant, something like a cardiac event, even in a young fit person, is much more likely. Something like a massive PE is much more likely. You're going to want to resuscitate mum the same way you would anybody else, basically. Um, okay, what, what are the kind of immediate thoughts of possible causes in, in a kind of situation like this? What, what things should we think about? So in a maternal collapse, the sort of obstetric things I'm thinking of are some sort of massive blood loss inside the abdomen or something, something you can't see going on, but it's important to bear in mind, as we spoke about, cardiac causes. So is there some underlying cardiomyopathy? Is this someone who's had an MI? Thinking about your pulmonary embolism, they had a huge PE. It's just bearing in mind that there's all the usual non-pregnant stuff, some of which can be made worse by pregnancy, as well as a couple of specific pregnancy things. And this has probably shown my ignorance a little bit. Um, maybe I've just forgotten, I can't remember. But amniotic fluid embolism, I've never seen one, I don't think. Um, but when do you think about that? And, and does it matter? Is there anything we can even do? So fortunately, it's a rare complication. It's usually postnatally after someone's had a usually a quick delivery within about sort of half an hour to an hour after delivering, they suddenly become unwell and collapse. There's not much you can do, unfortunately. It's very much supportive measures for that and hoping that they recover and get better. And in terms of our particular patient who's pre-delivery and, and sudden collapse, I take it we do all the similar principles, similar resuscitation things we would do for a non-pregnant person. But what is the consideration regarding the pregnancy and when should we consider delivering this pregnancy to help mum? So you're right, it's all the same stuff. The thing to bear in mind is that you want to avoid your aortocaval compression. So it's either a, a left lateral tilt on whatever you're doing, either lying flat or uterine displacement. That's really something for sort of CPR situations. Delivering the baby will always make things easier. We spoke earlier about how if it's maternal compromise or fetal compromise, then you deliver. If mum is that compromised, then delivery is in her interest. If the fetus is well enough to survive and is viable and neonates are there, then that's a bonus. But if someone is life-threateningly unwell, then removing that extra load from them will make resuscitating them easier. So just to clarify... Sorry, this is for my own benefit. We're, we're relatively familiar with the thought of resuscitative hysterotomy, which we'll come to in a wee second, in a, in a cardiac arrest situation. But I've never really thought about it much in a pre-arrest or peri-arrest situation, say a massive P or whatever. But that would still be totally acceptable. I think what you're saying is it still is going to help mum the, her chances of survival yeah. by delivering, even in even if they have a blood pressure, even if they're but they're very unwell, you would still consider delivering. Is that fair? It seems strange to set an arbitrary cutoff of you must be dead before we deliver your baby to try and help you. My thoughts would be why not try and help someone before that point? 
obviously ideally you want to stabilize them get into theater uh, and it may be the case that events overtake you and that's when something like your resuscitative hysterotomy comes into play well let's talk about resuscitative hysterotomy <laughs> that's quite a, a f- not fashionable topic but people like to talk about it. I, mean, I mean we like to talk about rare skills in A&E for those rare circumstances but we've actually had a few in, in our department in the last uh, one or two years um, so they, they do occur. What's the thought process? In this particular case, we're not overly complicated. We'll go back to the cardiac arrest situation because that's the situation where I guess we're more likely or more familiar with, with considering doing it. Um, so uh, uh, let's say uh, uh, that our next patient is a cardiac arrest. They've just arrived. They've arrested en route in the ambulance. They get wheeled in the door. CPR is ongoing. Um, you know, we'll break up into teams. We'll have a, the resuscitation team. We'll have a, maybe a pediatric team standing by for delivery. And then there's the, the kind of, let's say, the obstetric team or the hysterotomy team. So let's say you take on that role. Can you talk us through a hysterotomy? Now, there might be a way. I've noticed obstetricians tend to like to do a kind of fan and steel incision. And that's what they're familiar with. Our books tell us the kind of full vertical approach. Um, c- can you just kind of talk us through the, the main steps that you would take and if you if this was a situation you're in so your your timing of it is the first thing to think of you want to be delivering that baby within five minutes of the arrest so you by four minutes you're thinking about it by five minutes it should be done that goes by really quickly especially if you're describing someone who's arrested outside of hospital by the time they get there really it's going to, have to be high on your list of priorities for someone who isn't an obstetrician i'd be you're right doing a midline you want to go from basically the umbilicus down to the symphysis in a sort of straight incision and you basically keep going until you reach baby at which point you pull the baby out now depending on gestation you may have to make that incision a little bit higher if they're a bit more advanced you just feel the fundus where you're going to go it's not being shy the key thing is doing it the best advice i can give anyone about recessive hysterotomy is do it we know that improves outcome for the mothers the outcomes unfortunately are not great but they definitely are better if baby gets delivered now we're not typically familiar with entering abdomens um, so we're probably a bit nervous, maybe even a little bit slow if we're in that position. We're worried about cutting things that we shouldn't cut. What, what would your kind of advice be in this kind of situation? So I would, I would say don't be afraid of cutting into the abdomen. If you can feel that uterus, then you need to get that baby out. As the uterus gets bigger, it basically shoves everything out of the way. So if someone is lying on their back and they're significantly pregnant, as you open that abdomen, you're going to find abdominal wall and then you're going to hit the uterus. There's not going to be anything in between the two. And even if there is and you hit it, this is someone who's got no heartbeat. You're not going to make things worse by doing it. And they're not going to bleed a huge amount, probably. Yeah, blood loss is not usually a big issue, unless you get an output back. Okay. So baby will go off to the paediatric team, and I think chances of survival are low, but they do occur if, yeah. if it happens early enough. The CPR team will be ongoing with mum. Yeah. In your situation, what, what what should happen next? What what do you do with the open abdomen if, if there's still a chance of survival for mum and CPR is ongoing? Do you pack it? Do you what what, what? So I, I would close it myself, but I appreciate that not everyone obviously is an obstetrician. Packing it is not unreasonable at all. And it's the same as any sort of major trauma. You get loads and loads of packs and you just cram them in there and you're gonna call your nearest surgical person to come and give you a hand putting everything back together. Um, just out of curiosity, if if you'd done a hysterotomy and, and the decision by the team was to deliver thrombolysis, would that change whether you closed or didn't close the wound? So I, I think I personally would probably always close the wound just because I'm, I'm used to doing that and I can do it quickly. I think if you're in the scenario of not being an obstetrician and you're thrombolizing, 
Uteruses won't contract properly until they close. Your risk of blood loss is going to be a bit higher. Even if you close it, it's going to bleed, but it'll probably bleed less. So I would yeah, take something, a big 1-0 suture and do your best to put it back together. Okay, I'll take you back a little bit. Just we, We've got a couple of minutes. We've been phoned ahead. You get on the phone and we've got you, but someone is about to take um, charge of this hysterotomy because you can't be there in time. What advice would you give someone on the phone who's never done one before? Um, what, what would you say? So I think if you are undertaking your resuscitative hysterotomy and you are not an obstetrician, then you're going to need, number one, a buddy because it's a two-person job. We would have an assistant in a cesarean section. That has to be your only task because you're going to have to be concentrating on on that and nothing else. You can't be involved in the um, resuscitation. Your job is opening the abdomen, getting the baby out and potentially putting things back together as, as best you can if that's deemed necessary. So the person on the end of the phone is clearly rattled and you can sense that they're really not looking forward to this procedure. Any last little bits of advice that you would get to kind of give them a little bit of confidence? Uh, you know, it's one of these things, it's, it is perversely easier than it sounds. You basically, you feel the top of the womb, you take your scalpel, you cut through the skin in a big line down the middle, you keep doing that until you're into the womb, you take the baby out. If you scratch the baby a bit with the scalpel, don't worry about that. Once you've got a baby out and placenta, you're then going to think about closing it if you're confident in that, but if you're not confident in that, get some big packs, pack that uterus, pack the abdomen, and wait for us to come along and give you a hand. And in terms of placenta, what do we do in that situation? So in that situation, the uterus is open. You can literally just scoop it out with your hands. It's okay, so you don't wait like we did in the normal delivery. No, I wouldn't I would, because scoop, yeah, scoop it out. But be aware that um, if you get an output back, you're going to get bleeding. So it's thinking about your uterotonics to get the uterus to contract again. And in terms of clamping that, I mean, obviously, baby's likely to be very unwell. Would you still leave it a minute or so to get in, as much? In that scenario, you're getting baby and placenta out as quickly as you possibly can. So it's going to be... Baby out, cord clamp, placenta out very, very quickly. Okay, so we had a case recently in our department, and in fact you were the, the doctor who came and, and, and did the hysterotomy, but it was a very traumatic case for a lot of people. And I just wanted to touch a little bit on the trauma that can happen as a result of this. Now, I wasn't there that day, but I heard a lot about it afterwards. Now, if, you're, if you say you have a case like this in your department and you are the senior member of staff, what, what, what should you think about in the longer term, in the medium to long term afterwards? Because this will impact uh, your staff quite significantly, won't it? Yeah, it will. I don't want to downplay this at all. This is a really big deal. You've got someone in the department who has just died. That person is usually a young, well person by and large, because that's generally if you're pregnant, you are. You've not only got that, you've got a baby who's just died in the department and as well as that, you've got a team of people who've been doing their best to stop that from happening and it's not worked out the way you want it to. You've got someone who may have just done a complex surgical procedure that they're completely unfamiliar with and they've done something, they've gone right out of their comfort zone and they've got absolutely no reward for it. They haven't got a live baby, they haven't got a live mum and that's a big deal because doctors were very used to doing things to help people and you know we win, we manage. And we all know that it doesn't always work out that way. This is something that as an obstetrician, you kind of get a bit used to because these things happen to a degree. But I think in A&E, you know, this can be completely alien and that will absolutely have a huge impact on you psychologically. My first thoughts are, 
you do your documentation, you have a hot debrief. That was something that we don't do in obstetrics, and that was a really useful tool in A&E, and we're basically we're stealing that from you because we like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hot debrief we thought was quite a good idea, but making sure there's follow-up in place. Whoever's involved in that, doing the operation, their shift's over. You know, that's someone who's going home. They might think they're going to be able to function, but they're not. And it's quite often, it's not till a bit later when you start replaying in your head that you start to realise exactly how harrowing and unpleasant it could possibly have been. And we've done, actually, another podcast on peer support and stuff. Mm. So we, we've we've delved into that. But we need to be thinking of that and strategies to support these yeah. people. Because there's a bit of a stoic sort of culture in A&E where you just kind of man up. But this can have deep psychological impact and people can be left quite badly scarred, depressed, upset, PTSD after things like this. So we've got to be aware that can happen, look out for the signs and instigate even basic kind of measures to kind of mitigate that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. We've had we've had sessions, the team that we're on have had sessions with our psychology department and with the bereavement counsellors. And I think that's all been really, really useful. And obviously different people have different levels of involvement, different needs. But I think having those facilities there and being aware that it may be required is a really useful and helpful thing to do and entirely appropriate. Okay, I realise I've taken up quite a lot of your time now. <laughs> quite all right. And, and I, do you know what? I was going to take you through a septic patient, a, a medical disorder, a trauma patient. But in fact, I think we, we had a bit of discussion off air and, and I think we could probably lump it all into one. Mm. So a, a pregnant lady who just happens to be pregnant but comes in for another medical or trauma-related mm. reason, what, what what's your general principles? Obviously, there's a few tweaks you would do here and there. But in general, the rule is think about what you would do if this person was not pregnant and then do that. So if you have someone with a terrible asthma or someone with a DKA or someone who's septic, think about how you manage that in the non-pregnant population and then just apply those rules. We mentioned earlier, the best way to get a well baby is to have a well mum. So if mum needs resuscitated, if she needs her, um, if she needs some sort of medical treatment, do it. And the, and the only thing, I guess, unfairly just talking about trauma is you have the left lateral position and simple things yeah. like that. But in terms of the investigations we do, the, the treatments we administer, they're generally the same. Treat the mum and that's the best possible thing to do for the baby. Absolutely. If you know, if, if mum's compromised due to whatever underlying medical problem, resolving that is what is going to make things better. We, we obviously get a wee bit... Um, kind of nervous around drugs in, in early pregnancy probably specifically but say we're into the latter half of pregnancy there, there isn't really many drugs that we should avoid is there I mean like I'm thinking emergency drugs specifically I know warfarin's not great isn't that right but but I'm just thinking more of drugs that we would deliver in, a, in an emergency kind of situation there's not really many that spring to mind that are worth avoiding is that fair i think that is fair i think you know the vast majority of antibiotics are you know mostly fine to use your penicillin your cephalosporin meropenem that sort of thing there's if you've got someone who's that acutely unwell that you think they need immediate management of a medical problem to prevent mum being compromised, I don't think we would criticise anyone for using a drug that might be considered to be unsuitable. I would just say, treat the mum, that's the best thing you can do for the baby. What we'd rather have, a mum who's unwell and a baby that comes to harm, or a baby that is perhaps exposed to a drug that might be a problem. And maybe my final question. You're like, whew. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of where patients get admitted to, so say a medical patient, say an asthma or a whatever, where are they best 
admitted to because I know everyone gets super nervous around a pregnant lady, but say that there's nothing, the, the, the lady is not in labour. We feel as best as we can tell that baby is fine and it's primarily a medical problem. Should they just go to the medics or, or do you like to look after medical patients or how, how, what's your thoughts? That's a, that is the million dollar question and has caused a lot of arguments that I've been involved in in the past. I'm a really simple soul and uh, I have a very easy, very easy rule of just practice in general, which is, would you be happy with that treatment if it was you? So if I had a nasty chest infection or a DKA or a bad epilepsy, would I want an obstetrician looking after me? The answer is no. I would want the medical specialist doing that. You're right, there is a lot of anxiety over where patients go and there's worries about delivery and fetal monitoring. But the fact is, if someone is obstetrically well, they don't really need fetal monitoring. We don't bring people up to the antenatal clinic every day just to check them. We bring them in every few weeks to make sure they're all right. I think this is something to, you know, needs to be discussed on an individual basis. There's no hard and fast rule. It's case by case. It's consultant to consultant discussion. Get senior people involved. And whatever happens, wherever that patient goes, there has to be agreement from obstetrics to come and see them in the medical ward, the surgical ward or whatever, or the other way around from the surgeons, medics, whoever, to come and see them in the obstetric ward. The other thing to bear in mind there is that most uh, maternity hospitals, it used to be the case that midwives trained in nursing and then midwifery, not anymore. Most of our midwives are purely midwifery. They do not do nursing. They're very good at listening to fetuses' heartbeats. They're good at looking for signs of preeclampsia. They're not good at managing asthma. They're not good at interpreting CTGs. That's not to say that they can't do their job. They can, but they can't do a nursing job. So it's just thinking about where will the patient actually get the best care. And I was going to let you go, and then I thought of another one. <laughs> it was just when you were talking about monitoring. I thought, well, another situation we see relatively regularly is minor trauma mm -hmm. in a pregnant lady, like a bit of a bump in a car or whatever. Um, obviously, they, they tend to come very anxious, um, eat with or without symptoms. So when do they all need to be seen by a midwife or, or the obstetric team? Or is there anything that we can do in the emergency without monitoring, of course, um, that would satisfy us that this patient could be discharged without involving you? Or is it best to get your, your involvement? Certainly in this hospital, we would just say, just send them up to see us because we know we've got that facility. I think if you are, don't have obstetrics on site, the thing that all pregnant moms want to know is, is the baby okay? And that can only really be achieved by monitoring unless you can obviously palpate movement. So if baby's moving, it's fine. I have seen people very unfortunately with uh, babies who are dead say that they're still feeling movements. So it's not a reliable indicator. So the kind of answer to your question is no, there's not a huge amount you can do short of listening to that baby or an ultrasound or a CTG or something along those lines. So I'm just thinking about some of our other listeners who may be in slightly remoter communities. I, I guess if you know you, you could find yourself in that situation, you, you should get some training and it could be fairly simple. Would that be fair that, that you could... Yeah do something that would give some reassurance even if that's a dop tone or or an ultrasound to see a heartbeat or something but there should be a facility or a way that someone could be trained to to, to at least see a beating heart is that fair yeah i think you know if you if you're not familiar with assessing a fetus then yeah you probably don't want to be attempting that because there are various pitfalls there and i would have thought you're in a remote and rural community without access to facilities you probably do want to have something like a dop tone or a ctg to allow you to monitor the baby and know how to do that and interpret it 
Okay, so we've ended our shift. You'd be glad to know that went well. It was busy. It was busy. <laughs> I'm glad you were there. Um, we we put out some questions to to our uh, listeners or our social media followers. Uh, we got a number of questions which we've kind of answered already. There was one that stuck out that, that we hadn't touched upon. I, I was wondering, would you mind answering it? it? comes from Mike Gillespie. He's one of the EMRS consultants. Um, and he was asking about tocolysis. And this is in a rural setting. So he used to work in Australia and he was aware that they would give IV salbutamol infusions. Uh, kind of more to halt labour, just to facilitate transfer to a major centre. What, what's your thoughts on, on tocolysis in those types of pre-hospital settings? So I think it's, it is probably useful in that setting. There, there's no evidence tocolysis improves fetal outcomes, but if it stops you having a baby when you're trying to get from one centre to another, then it's useful. We tend to use uh, nifedipine now for tocolysis. There's various drugs available. We use nifedipine because it's as effective as some of the sort of more expensive versions uh, of drugs you can use. It's given orally. It's fairly straightforward. But yeah, we used to use Ritadream, which is very similar to salbutamol for tocolysis. Okay, I confirm this is definitely the last question (laughs) because this is how I finish podcasts generally. If you don't mind, I'm going to take you on a time machine. We're going to go back... Um, to the day you left university and you're about to start your junior doctor role. What 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 have you gained in your experience um, in your career to date? What 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 piece of advice would you give your junior you just starting their career? So that's a big question. Uh, I think I would probably tell my junior self the most important thing is do not be afraid to get your seniors and be forceful in getting your seniors. When I, when I look back at things that have happened when I was a trainee and phoning consultants, this is some time ago, phoning consultants and them sort of saying, just carry on, get on with it. And I wish, there's situations where I think I got away with it, but I wish actually I said, no, you need to come in, you need to come in. So don't be afraid to do that. Make sure consultants and your seniors know that you need them. That's what they're there for. Any last little thing you want to say before we leave? Yeah, I think, uh, I know not everyone who's listening to this will be in Scotland, but there is the SMMDP, the Scottish Multi-Professional Maternity Development Programme, and they run a training programme called SCOTI, which is about um, obstetric emergencies, and we've adapted it for use in any departments. We run it all over Scotland. It's always been very well received. It's for consultants, registrars, nurses, paramedics. We do it all over the place. If you think that's something you're interested in, check out the SMMDP website. I would thoroughly recommend it. And I've done it, and it is very, very good. <laughs> Um, Marcus McMillan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. So many, many thanks again to Marcus McMillan. I think my main take-home points today are, number one, in terms of cardiovascular collapse, there are obviously the standard causes of cardiovascular collapse, but those specifically associated with pregnancy and should be considered include massive blood loss, which can be concealed, pulmonary embolism, and cardiac causes such as cardiomyopathy or MA. Number two, resuscitative hysterotomy is probably easier than it sounds. So big vertical incisions through the abdominal wall and then into the uterus. Pull the baby out, clamp and cut the placenta quickly and then scoop the placenta out. And you can stitch up the uterus if you're happy to do so or else you could pack it tightly and wait for a surgeon or obstetrician. And don't forget to consider the psychological welfare of both yourself and your team. So a hot debrief as well as some counselling may be appropriate in the days and weeks ahead. 
And finally, number three for pregnant patients who present with non-pregnancy related problems, do what you would do for a non-pregnant person in that situation. And remember, all emergency drugs can be given to an unwell mum. The priority is keeping her well. And when admitting to the hospital, remember to admit to the place who can take care of the admitting problem the best. And that could be on a medical or surgical ward. So thank you so much again to Marcus McMillan for giving us his time and thoughts on all of these obstetric emergencies. Many, many thanks to you for listening. Please visit stmungos-ed.com where you can see lots of additional resources and the show notes for this episode. And until next time, take care. Thank you.